Hello, listeners with attitude. I'm Michael. And I'm Nathan. And you're listening to The Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise. Are you ready for this, Michael? You ready for this? <laughs> I am. I'm absolutely ready for this. Like this is the first this is the first episode. We just recorded our intro episode because this is a batch recording day and this is going to be <laughs> this is only the second time this is only the second episode we're recording in this in today on this yeah but we're calling it episode one which isn't confusing at all (laughs) which is not confusing at all no you're right it's not confusing at all but the the listeners but then again calling no idea yeah but then again calling it episode zero this episode one i guess makes a little bit more sense for you know for record keeping it's slightly less confusing i suppose I hope that the listeners by now have already listened to our intro episode. That uh, well, I hope they've we- listened to our trailer because we had a five star trailer for a couple. We did of have a five star trailer. I can't believe we had a five star trailer already. Like, uh, it's it's gonna be. You know, I I was looking at our analytics the other day, and I was like, man, we've already got a hundred and. 20 downloads on this trailer geez and that's just the trailer on the power trip feed if we include all the other places where we put it on there it's absurd people it absurd. want this show <laughs> i hope god i hope so i hope it's not just i hope it's just not our friend elijah just clicking uh <laughs> repeat 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 100 over 300 times i don't know uh well sometimes i think that some of these people set somehow set it up because i have some podcasts that i listen to or if i pause it and then wait a while to go back to uh, to go back to it. It just restarts at the beginning instead of just picking up where I left off. I was like, "No, you cheaters!" Anyway, right. <laughs> uh, so with this being the first official season discussion for the Power Trip, Nathan, uh, what are we going to be talking about today? In today's episode, we are discussing Mighty Morphin Power Rangers season one. The evil space witch Rita Repulsa and her monstrous minions are freed from their prison on the moon and set their sights on conquering Earth. But the interdimensional sage Zordon and his robot assistant Alpha 5 recruit five teenagers with attitude and gift them with tremendous powers and fighting machines to combat these evil forces. Amidst the relentless assaults, a sixth ranger joins their ranks in the never-ending battle against evil. So, season one, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah. Um, we already talked about all of uh, the, uh, in brief, the long journey to get here. <laughs> right. So now we're the story here. story journey we're... to get here. So, uh, since you are the proud owner of the quote-unquote Power Bible, uh, which is actually just the visual guide, <laughs> is there any important background information that we need to let the listeners with attitude know about just that the, just mainly what we discussed in episode one where, uh, or the intro episode, I should say, where we talked about the long journey uh, of how we got here. And uh, because in the power Bible, which is just the visual guide, like we said, uh, it does talk briefly about the journey to get to where we are now. Um, and it does go into detail. It does go into a little bit of a detail into little detail about, you know, how Saban acquired the, how Saban acquired the Toei footage that came from Shoe Ranger. Uh, and for anyone who's not familiar with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers season one, uh, the footage for season one of Mighty Morphin was taken from the Kyo- I hope I'm, I'm going to butcher this, but it's fine. Uh, Kyo, Kyo, 
Kyoru, Kyo, Kyoru, whatever, Kiryu. That's not, it's not Kiryu, but we're going to go with that. <laughs> Sentai, Sentai Zhu Ranger. So, which roughly translates to Dino Squadron Zhu Ranger. Which just, the concept of calling a group of people a squadron is just weird to me. When you say squadron I mean, it's to common, me, though. I think of airplanes. Now, squad it's, is people, squadron is planes, but. I'm weird. <laughs> Again, English major in the room. All right. <laughs> True, but if you watch some of the if you watch some of the Sentai dub or watch some of the Sentai subs, uh, it does say Squadron as part of the title. So you know it is what it is. So uh, Nathan, let's go ahead and get into discussing this season. All right. So first thing we got to talk about is, and th- this will generally be the order we go in, people. So first we got to talk about the theme song. Go, go Power Rangers by Ron Wasserman. What do you say about, what do you say about this? That hasn't already been said. It is the Power Ranger theme. There's been a good, there's been nearly two dozen more uh, Power Ranger theme songs, but this is the theme. <laughs> yeah. This is the theme that every, when you say Power Rangers, this is immediately the theme people that the, the theme song that people remember like mm-hmm. go, go Power Rangers. I mean, it's mm-hmm. iconic at this point. Like it's, it's pop culture. It's, it's just smoldering in pop culture goodness at this yeah. point. It's like, well, and it's interesting to compare this to the Zhu Ranger theme because the Sentai themes are generally very different than what we get with Power Rangers. They have their own very distinct flavors. The, it's very, um, it's very J-pop. Like all the Sentai themes yeah. are very J-pop. And most the, of them, anyway. At least the ones that I've heard. Right. That, Whereas, like the Power Ranger themes, they lean very heavy into like the metal and the rock music. Yeah, theme. which I actually was something that dawned on me while I was getting ready for today's recordings, and that was that I realized the fact that we have teenage heroes and we have Ron Wasserman, who was. Real, he was a he's a musician he's a composer he was really well he was one of the go-to guys in the 90s mm-hmm. to make you a theme song like he created the iconic x-men the animated series theme song and so I, and like i said he's a musician himself and i realized the fact that we have this hard rock of kind of borderline metal sounding theme song for mighty Morphin power rangers a show about teenage superheroes it's very appropriate because what is rock and roll? Rock and roll is all about rebellion and it's always very popular with the youths. You know, rock and roll when it started in the fifties was popular with the kids because they wanted to be rebellious. That has always been part of the makeup of rock and roll and metal music. So it makes total sense that they would have this, you know, this rock and theme song because it really does tap into that youthful rebellious energy yeah, but obviously in a good way because these are good kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean. it, there's that teenage there's that teenage angst element to and a little uh, bit of a teenage edge to it as well. Right, there's a little bit of a teenage edge and teenage angst to it as well. I, I honestly I cannot picture this franchise without any with any other theme song than this. Like it mm-hmm. is very difficult. Like when like the theme song uh, that we heard in the uh, I think it was the uh, the mock intro trailer or not trailer what is the what'd we say the the intro to bioman um yeah the the, the (laughs) opening credit the opening credits to bioman that song was weird yeah Um, you're talking about the you're talking about the uh, saban 
made one, right? Yes, the Saban okay. made one. Yeah, the Saban, the the original, uh, the the one of the original version, the one the original drafts to the original series of Power Rangers. Like I cannot picture, I cannot picture this franchise with any other theme song than this. Like it it is it breaks my brain to try to do that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But like I said, I mean, what else do you say? It's a pop culture icon. Always will be. And yeah. honestly, I find that any Power Ranger theme song, because I've listened to bass, I've listened to all of them. Any Power Ranger theme song that kind of deviates from that hard rock metal tradition just doesn't quite feel right. No, because you there's have... a few that do, and we'll get into yeah. those as we get to them. But there's a just doesn't quite work as well. Yeah, it's like because there's there's a couple of them that are uh, that stick out to me that that kind of deviate, like Ninja Storm being one of them that kind of deviates from the uh, from the from the formula at this point of the hard rock, maybe early like eight late eighties nineties metal band hair metal theme music that we get in some of these earlier seasons. It it just like you like you said, it just feels weird, and in some points, it just feels wrong. Yeah. Yeah, and the soundtrack in these earlier seasons is also very rock and metal infused, which they start even in the even in the Saban era, they start deviating from a little bit, which I know some people don't quite like, but I'm okay with it. You know, but we'll get we'll get into that as we go. Yeah, well, we will. I mean, there are some other icon. There's some other iconic music in in some of these series, like "Go Green Ranger." Yeah, those those kind of things. Uh, and those other was those primarily it's the Wasserman songs, the mm -hmm. the Wasserman catalog of songs that are so iconic for these first for the first three seasons in particular. So now let's talk a little bit about our Rangers. Uh, yeah. Our heroes for this season. So we have Jason. Uh, so we have Jason Lee, the Red Ranger, Zach Taylor, the Black Ranger, Billy Cranston, the Blue Ranger, Trini Kwan, the Yellow Ranger, and Kimberly Hart, the Pink Ranger, aka Michael's first crush. So <laughs> actually, I think an entire generation of boys first crush. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, God, Kimberly, the girl, I mean, she is, she's, the girl next door. And that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, well, both her and Trini basically set the precedent for, shall we say power ranger prettiness. I'm just saying, you know, if you want to be yeah. on power rangers, you got to be pretty. It doesn't matter if you're good or evil, you got to be pretty. So, <laughs> well, I, I, okay. Let's cause we're not sexist here, Nathan, and we're not body. Well, yes. Ever. Well, yes. The, the men are very attractive as well. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that, and that's totally, that's totally fair. But to say that you have to be pretty to be on Power Rangers is a little bit of a stretch. But, you know, Power Rangers does have this history of picking very, um, oh, what is the, what's, what's a way I can say this without sounding creepy? Uh, aesthetically pleasing people to be their rangers. <laughs> there are no ugly people uh, in Power Rangers, unless you're a monster. And then you know, Power Rangers has a Power Rangers has a long history of having this uh, very attractive fin fin fatale uh, character as its villains, as we'll later see. Mm, yeah, there is that. Is, that's a very interesting tradition that gets established here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you I. I there's a, there were points where I like, I wanted to write an article about that. I was like, there's a really interesting tradition of female villains in mm -hmm. power Rangers It's quite interesting. But yeah. the thing about this team is that, I mean, despite all of the cast changes and everything, we'll get into that as time went on. Th this team 
is these are the icons. These are the characters ever like anytime that Power Rangers quote unquote gets rebooted, they go to this well. It's this team. Doesn't matter how many more actors there have been who've played these parts. It's this team they go back to. It was this team in the 2017 movie. It was this team when Boom Studios started doing comic books. It, it's you. They just can't get away from this. And I think it's because this, not only is it the first, it really sets the formula for what we expect, which is it's going to be, you know, it's a young, youthful characters. They're, they're ethnically diverse. You are guaranteed to have at least two girls, which is a little bit different than Sentai. Sentai doesn't always have two girls on the team. In fact, the the original uh, Zhu Ranger, the yellow the yellow Ranger was was male. Yeah, which is which can make some of the <laughs> Sentai footage a little weird at points because this is not the only one where they do that. There are other Sentai shows where the yellow Ranger is male, but then they have Saban made footage where it's clearly a woman in that costume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, so the footage yeah. it looks a little odd at points. But uh but all of that to say the you know this set a lot of very important precedents and I think even I think even Super Sentai took a little bit of a cue from it because even though there had been other like Bioman like the Japanese Bioman had two girls on the team but I noticed that for several Sentais after Power Rangers came out suddenly there are two girls showing up on the team quite a bit. So you know I think they took some cues. At least I like to think they did. But oh, but uh, uh, we have very particular archetypes with the with this team that again keeps coming back. So Jason, the Red Ranger, he's the leader, because which is the th a thing in the Sentais, while the Red Ranger is the leader, generally speaking. And Jason is uh, he's a jock, he's a martial artist, he's uh, a little bit stoic, but also a little hot headed at points. Depends on his mood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or or depends on how many smoothies how many smoothies he's had that day yeah basically uh, but he's the, definitely that i i, I don't want to say a, a man's man necessarily because he's still a teenager technically they're all adults tech really because you know 14 year olds don't look like this but <laughs> it's not like steve mcqueen in the blob where he's 30 pretending to be 15 but <laughs> i think i think steve mcqueen actually worked a little bit better <laughs> Ooh, you saying uh, young Steve McQueen should have been a Power Ranger? I don't know. I mean, Steve, the young Steve McQueen was a pretty attractive guy, uh, and he was a very youthful looking, looking, looking gentleman. And especially, I can relate. <laughs> especially Jason. Now, I think the rest of them can. I think the rest of the team, like Billy and uh, Zach and Kimberly, they can all pass for teenagers. But the one that stuck out, that always stuck out to me like a sore thumb was Jason. Jason always kind of was like, you know, he looks to be a 35 year old man <laughs> trying to play an eight, trying to play a, a 16 to 17 year old boy. Actually, I thought the one who had that was especially later was the hardest one to believe was actually David Yost. He looks the, he oh, looks yeah. the most 30 ish out of all of them. He wasn't even oh, 30 yeah. when he was in the show, but he looks yeah. the most 30 ish out of all of them. But, uh, and then, so we have that. So we have our, you know, our good all American, you know, young man, you know, mm -hmm. red blooded American man. Right. And then we have Zach, our black guy who is a dancer. We learn we learn a lot of these things about him very quickly. He does hip hop keto as he puts it, you know. Yes, hip hop. Yeah, that's right. Hip hop keto. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's a, he has a really like youthful. He has a really youthful energy about him. He's uh, he's honestly the most I think the most energetic of the team. 
Yeah, you kind of have to be. Trust me, as someone who has done ballroom dancing, has been around dancers, it comes with the territory. And he's also kind of the heart of the team. He's the closest thing to probably a, the quote-unquote comic relief on the team. We have comic relief characters, but he's the closest to a comic relief on the team itself. He you plays the... He plays like he plays the lovable goofball role very well. Yeah, he does. And then you have Billy, the token nerd, because you have to. <laughs> right, of course. Uh, Which complete... is kind of funny because this was at a point where geeks and nerds were still the convenient targets for bullying and things like that. They weren't necessarily intended to be the cool kids, but they kept putting nerd characters in everything. <laughs> it was just more relatable, I think, at that point. Yeah, so Billy is the most as you would expect, is the most socially awkward. He's the, the thing that's always kind of weird, particularly in the early episodes, is that he's supposed to be the least skilled out of all of them in terms of fighting ability, but he always mm. still manages to do pretty well with what he has. I mean, the first episode establishes these characters very quickly, but then when you actually watch them and they're suddenly able to do things like wield crazy weapons and drive giant robots and there's just kind of like this one a one-off kind of throwaway line where they're just like where that seems to imply that their powers just kind of imbue them with the ability to know how to use these things despite the fact that they established that they have some skill but i'm just like okay you probably can't even drive a car now you can drive giant robots right but sure it's in the, it, that it's in that first the fact that in jew ranger those characters were already trained warriors right yeah it, it's it's like it's in that uh, it's in that opening episode, the day of the dumpster, where they first uh, they first are given their zords and they're dry. And I think it was I think if I'm not if I'm remembering correctly, it was like Billy. It was Billy that that mentions at first. It's like it's like second nature is what he says. Yeah. It's yeah. like so he, it's, he's driving the he's driving the tri triceratops. He's like he's like I suddenly know how to do this thing that I didn't think that I was too scared to do in the first place. It's like second nature to me now. Yeah, basically. And then you have Trini. Our Asian girl, who I know, she wasn't quite as much of you know, the uh, target of boys' crushes as Kim was, but I knew some people who had a thing for Trini. Oh, yeah. Trini's still a beautiful woman. Oh, she yeah. is. Uh, yeah. God rest Tui uh, Trang's Trang. soul. Yeah. 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 Rest in she peace. She just had a birthday, actually. Uh, yeah. I noticed yeah. online people were celebrating her birthday, so, you know. R.I.P. R.I.P. Tui Trang. I mean, she was. Yeah. I mean, she was a she was a beautiful woman. She played a fantastic character. She yeah. played yeah. the. Uh, she's kind of. She the... played like the stoic. She's kind of like more stoic, and she's like more sage like. She's yeah, the, like she's, she's the wisest one of those. Kind, of she's team. almost like an old soul. You know, she's a little mm, wiser yeah. than you would expect someone her age to be. And one of the things that I thought in the audio drama actually played around with this, the Power Rangers audio drama, is that as time went on, she started hanging out with Billy a lot. <laughs> And I kind of wish that they had a thing because I thought they were good for each other. And maybe, maybe jumping ahead a little bit, maybe if Tui Trang had stayed on the show, maybe it would have happened. I don't know. But that was sort of the implication. I mean, that was definitely the implication. Now, this being this being a kid's show, they did not want to show too many um, Ranger romances. Now, this became it became a thing later on as the show progressed into later seasons, and especially into the uh, latter uh, into the latter seasons of the the original Saban era, where things took a more adult turn. Not adult in terms of like uh, sexual content, but like more yeah, adult themes, more, more grown up, more grown up. There we go. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the better way to put it, but. 
but she had a very interesting dynamic with Billy. She would, they got away from this as time went on, but especially in those earlier episodes where Billy would spit out all of this geeky jargon, she would translate it for everybody. So that's why I like, she had a nice little dynamic with him in particular. And then obviously, I think that I think not to be too punny, but you know, Trini was Billy's yin to her yang. Yeah, I wouldn't bit. call that a pun. I'm not hitting the button for that. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously, I, I feel like I should just yield the floor to you at this point because we have to talk about Kimberly. <laughs> but you know, oh, one of the things oh, that you get out of this, like I said, they, these all kind of establish the tropes and dynamics. One of the things, and this is true of the Sentai as well, even if you have two girls on the team, the the Yellow Rangers typically are a little bit more on the tomboyish side. They're not mm-hmm. usually they're not always full blown tomboys, but they're usually on that more on the tomboyish side. And they make mm-hmm. the Pink Rangers, mm-hmm. and you know, and Kimberly sets the precedent. the The Pink Rangers tend to be the most feminine out of all yeah. of them. Yeah, I mean, her first line when she gets into the uh, uh, the pteranodon, not pteranodon, the pterodactyl, uh, I'll edit that out, uh, into the pterodactyl zord is nice stereo. I mean, she is, yeah, she's a valley girl through she's and through. She's a, she's a val. Yes. She's a valley girl. Yeah, they don't it, say, uh, their home base, their hometown is angel grove. They never say where it is, but I think people just generally assume it's California because <laughs> it looks like California. Oh, it's, de- I, I think it's definitely, it's heavily implied that it's, it's California. <laughs> It just makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. And so she brings a, a very distinctly feminine energy to the rest of the team. Trini does as well, but hers is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I necessarily, I don't necessarily think I would call Trini a tomboy either. I mean, she's no, but she's a little bit more on that scale than Kim is for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a lot more, I feel like she's a lot more athletic than Kim, even though Kim is a dancer. She's a uh, gymnast. She, she's a gymnast and well, she dances too. She does mm-hmm. the what the ribbon thing or whatever that she did the ribbon yeah. thing in that one episode, but yeah. she is you know Kim is athletic in her own right, but I feel like you know Trini where she is very heavily involved in martial arts, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Kimberly is actually the only member of this team that's not involved in martial arts. She's she knows in martial arts. She knows sure. martial arts but she's not heavily involved in martial arts like the rest of the team are like they, they actively show them training martial arts in several episodes. Whereas Kim's just kind of hanging out doing her gymnast thing and um, just having, just being your stereotypical Valley girl. Yeah, basically. And then we have our supporting cast (laughs) because all these shows have their supporting cast. So I have a feeling this will be, this episode might be a tad bit longer than most because you know we won't yeah, we're have laying to, the groundwork. Uh, we won't have to touch on a lot of these for the next couple of episodes because it's going to be the same. So we have Ernie, who runs the juice bar where they all hang out when they're not doing their superhero thing. It's equal parts, I guess, restaurant, youth center, and gym. It's very convenient, and I've never seen an establishment quite like this where you can go get lunch and work out <laughs> it's kind of like well it's kind of like the ymca except the or, ymca doesn't serve food <laughs> that's true that's true but it's kind of like uh well i don't know i can't remember if if some of like the the more high-end um uh planet fitnesses serve food or have i, I know they know. have 
I know they have an area where you can go eat, but that's that's beside the point. But yeah, the yeah, juice bar the is where but all Ernie these kids... runs the thing, and he's kind of a. Uh, I mean, there were some interesting things they thought about doing with Ernie. The mm-hmm. so he's this you know he's this lovable, shall we say, chubby guy. <laughs> okay, fine, the lovable fat man <laughs> who. Uh, is always looking out for the Rangers and the young guys. He's he's kind of a secondary mentor. We'll talk about the primary mentor here in a second. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's pertinent because at one point, they were actually thinking about having Ernie be Zordon in human form, which I I almost wish they had done that because I think that would have added a bit to it. I think it would have added a bit to his character, but it might have also taken away a little bit as well. Yeah. But I I think that was, I think it was, it's an interesting thing in concept, but in execution, I, I'm really, I'm just, I'm more, I'm happy that they landed where they did. Yeah. Because I think the way, uh, I I think what makes it work is that Zordon is their superhero mentor. Whereas Ernie is mentoring them in their civilian lives. I, I, which I kind of like, because, you know, Ernie is not, Ernie doesn't necessarily play, like the quote unquote father figure, because that is solely, that is solely reserved for Zordon. I think Ernie feels the like kind of older big brother role pretty well for this yeah. season. Yeah. And or like I said, he, he's who they go to. Well, not go to, but he's the one who helps them out in their civilian lives. Right. And Zordon does the superhero stuff. So speaking of Zordon, <laughs> our first ever mentor, it's another one of the precedents set in the show because mm-hmm. a lot of these super, uh, a lot of these power ranger seasons have mentor figures. The Sentais do as well. Oftentimes, but uh, so we have Zordon, the big head in a tube, <laughs> which <laughs> admittedly is kind of weird and surreal. And it's a little bit unique. There hadn't been anything quite like this. <laughs> no, so, no, uh, so hadn't. he's this sage who's stuck in a time warp in a tube, but you can only see his face, and it's weird. And you know, he has this uh, this booming, deep computer, a semi-computerized voice like this. He always speaks from his diaphragm. Yeah, <laughs> like I, but I cannot picture this series without this though. Like, there's no, a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of things about this that were there's a lot of things about the original series of power rangers that were unique they were the first time that they ever tried this on american television and it just ended up working and you cannot and and like we said you know zordon set the precedent he said he laid the groundwork for what a mentor character should be and we've had different versions of the mentor character uh, in later seasons, even other Rangers become the in become the pseudo mentor characters as we, yeah, as we which start we'll getting into. into later seasons. Yeah. Right. But you know, Zordon was the foundational one. And I think laid a, a really good precedent, like in on its face, a giant head and a plasma tube sounds silly and stupid, but it just worked. Yeah. Because it's just so bizarre. There hadn't really been anything like it. And it, here's the English major in me coming out. Zordon is very much part of the classical, tried and true Joseph Campbellian hero's journey story, a story format, which involves having a mentor. In fact, here's a little bit of education for you. The word mentor actually comes from the name of a character in the Odyssey. There is literally a character in the Odyssey named Mentor. <laughs> It's been it's been a it's been a really long time since I've read the Odyssey, so I'm glad you brought that up. 
Yeah, but that's where it came from. And so that's part of the hero's journey where the hero has someone to take them under their wing and teach them how to be a hero and part wisdom to them because they have all of this youthful energy and the, you know this vim and vigor but they need to have that tempered with with uh, sagely wisdom because that's what mm -hmm. they lack so they have desire yeah. they have skill but they lack wisdom yeah you know season 1 of uh we could probably we might get into this a little bit later but season 1 is definitely like a the theme of season 1 is definitely like coming of age and i don't think you can have a good coming of age story without like that father figure mentor yeah, you need it. You most definitely need it. Which again, there are points where they break they break from that formula, which we'll get into in later seasons. And then we have that lovable little robot. <laughs> <laughs> Alpha five. Alpha five. The, ay, 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 which I know some people probably thought that was a little annoying. And the the fully sentient multifunctional automaton, as Billy. Yeah, so he who serves as Zordon's assistant, basically, because Zordon's a head in the tube. He can't do a lot of things. <laughs> so, you so, know, so, so Alpha, Alpha is, is kind of his, uh, is kind of his uh, hands and it's feet. An ex yeah, his hands and feet. He's an extension of him. So he's like, I need to do something. I have no hands. <laughs> Alpha, you have hands. <laughs> and the thing that's interesting about Zordon and Alpha is that their backgrounds are kind of mysterious. You get hints of their background but you never get all of it. They're a little bit mysterious, which I kind of like. I feel not like it's fully explained. I feel like it's implied in not necessarily in this, in this season, but in later seasons, it's implied that when you have someone like a mentor character, like Zordon, they are automatically assigned an assistant like alpha five, like alpha five. So like alpha five, the alpha series, let's just say the alpha robots were built specifically to be assistance to whatever uh master or ruler or sage that they are assigned to that's the, that's the implication that i'm getting yeah now we do get some uh, we do get some more information about both of these characters as time goes on it's i guess the impression i get is that you know it's one of those things i think the the creators are kind of making it up a little bit as they go but they start mm, there's off with a lot. A there's there's a little bit of that going forward. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we'll talk about it because there are some <laughs> there are some con there is a little bit of story continuity and lore continuity errors as we get a little bit deeper. into yeah. Later seasons, like how powers can be created and transferred. Sure. <laughs> sure. Or, yeah, or anyway, how but yeah. So Alpha, he's this lovable little robot. He's a little bit comic relief. He's, I feel like in some ways, maybe he's even a little bit kind of an audience surrogate a little bit where he's just kind of freak. He's either fanboying really hard or he's freaking out. <laughs> well, he's there to sort of, he, Alpha serves the purpose of kind of the expl of the explainer kind of help yeah. like he he's alpha's the character you look at when okay the ranger when in which case i hereby dub him exposition bot 5000 <laughs> <laughs> but alpha is the character that you see when uh like a new monster of the week shows up and alpha's always alpha's usually the first character that says oh that's i guy i guy was a monster from 5000 yeah, years ago basically. blah 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 yeah he also and I wonder if the writers did this a little bit because you got to love it when adults try to quote unquote talk cool like the kids. It's always amusing. Uh, and I feel like they kind of did that. a little. They kind of put some of that into alpha. 
early on in season one, they did this and then they overdid it later. Looking at you, Turbo. Uh, (laughs) Where he tries to talk a little bit cool. He he calls the the Rangers dudes and dudettes and things like that. I'm like, come on, Alpha. In fact, the oh, first, come on. Like, it's also kind of funny because he's a little bit childlike, too, because the first mm-hmm. time we see him, he has a teddy bear. I don't know why a robot has a teddy bear. What was he doing with the teddy bear? I don't get it, but <laughs> I, I don't know either. But probably my favorite. Well, one of my favorite alpha moments is when he goes to the costume party and he picks up the girls for any and he takes the girls <laughs> away from Zach because they think he's a cosplayer, which is funny. That's a bit of a meta joke because he is a guy in a costume. <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's so many it's so weird. Hilarious. Somebody, somebody has shipped him and those chicks. I know they have. <laughs> you know that there's weird fan fiction out there about Alpha being a Casanova and picking up ladies at Halloween parties. I mean, <laughs> oh, absolutely. So you know, moving on from Alpha Five, uh, yeah, we, we get to the uh, we get to the true comic relief characters who I swear had to have been inspired by the likes of Laurel and Hardy and the Three Stooges, because it, it, they they have the it is the broadest of broad comedy. <laughs> with these two and you can't talk about them individually they are a unit they are <laughs> and that they is are. bulk and skull who some argue are the best characters in the show which i think is a tiny bit hyperbolic but B- bulkmeyer and skullovich farkas bulkmeyer and oh, i can't remember skull's actual first name but his last name is skullovich eugene those, it's eugene it's eugene, eugene skullovich which that doesn't get revealed until later. They're just bulk and skull. And some people, I don't know if bulk would necessarily fly nowadays, especially the fact that he's, well, he's a fat kid named bulk, but I was going to say, I don't think, I don't, I don't think bulk's going to, I don't think bulk was going to be flying anywhere anyway. <laughs> but anyway, so, cause as you usually do with these, I guess you could say these high school themed characters and shows. Cause this is, ba- this is basically a marriage of superhero and saved by the bell. <laughs> Let's be honest. Saved by the bell. Yeah, was it, you got to have time. your bully characters. You got to have your bully yeah. characters. Yeah, if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to set up a proper, if you're going to set up a proper high school environment, you have to have your stereotypical bullies. Yeah. So they, uh, but the thing that's different about this is that they are complete and utter buffoons. They're kind of caricatures of bullies because we all know school bullies are nine, 90 plus percent of the time are actually just kids who are, they're all talk and no action. They talk big, but as soon as you push back a little bit against them, they're going to back off. So mm. they're, like I said, they're kind of the caricature of this, but they have such a great dynamic. These two actors, really, like I said, it's broad comedy, but it's they know how to do it and they have the the best dynamic where bulk is this very assertive sure of himself but can't back up anything he says sort of a guy and skull is his yes man <laughs> he just agrees with everything he says goes along with all of their co- all the cockamamie schemes and you know uh, repeat and yeah, just like if bulk, a bulk says something mean and he's like yeah that <laughs> you know now we you know now we do because but we do have 
you know, we do have these characters that do experience some level of character growth. Uh, one episode in particular, and I'm, and I'm trying to remember if this is season one or season two, but it's the episode where, um, it's the episode where, uh, I think it's skull gets stood up at the prom and, uh, Kimberly asks him to dance or, uh, even it's the, or actually it's the episode, what I, the, the main episode I'm thinking of, it, it turns out that skull is proficient in piano. They do have, they do have some tremendous, they do have some tremendous growth. I will say that. And the, I think the writers and the creators like these characters and try to come up with different ways to use them for season one. They're very much just the token school bullies and they're played for broad comedy because they get embarrassed usually with literal egg on their face. They end those guys end up with so much food all over them <laughs> because that was their go-to joke, get food all over them. But it's about, they give them something new to do every season that they're on, which keeps them fresh while also serving as the comic relief. Although they don't, their antics don't always connect to the main story that's going on. I will say that mm. they almost kind of, Right. It's almost like a show within a show. In fact, I think at one point they were actually going to try to give them their own spinoff. <laughs> yeah, they were. I mean, gonna, there was, there they was were talks actually going to try to give them a spinoff. I think it got as far as a pilot, but <laughs> that's as far as it went. And, you know, we we do see a lot of the storylines like in later seasons. And we'll I don't want to go into detail here, but uh, we do see some of the storylines really kind of involve them a whole lot more, especially in season two where their whole mission is to uh, reveal who the Power Rangers really yeah. are. You yeah, know? they usually get some sort of obsession or thing to do in each mm -hmm. season. But in yeah. this one, they're just trying to bully all uh, our heroes. And our heroes live out one of the things that they're told to do by Zordon, which is never use their powers for personal gain. So they never do anything to Bulk and Skull if they, you know, as much as they can. Now, Treaty and Kim embarrass the both of them so that the audience can see that they know how to defend themselves. <laughs> you know in the uh, day of the dumpster but you know so like i said they're th th these writers knew how to very efficiently and quickly establish the characters mm -hmm. so exactly yeah so then we have a couple more uh, we'll say supporting cast members so we have mr kaplan who's the principal at the at angel grove high and yep. uh, they don't do stereotypical stereotypical principal they don't yep. do a ton like i think we're getting ready to say they don't do a ton with him he has a few kind of bit parts uh the i think the shtick the the shtick with him is he wears a toupee and yeah, they use so that for comic relief yeah they do that constantly but he's basically just there to occasionally provide some secret identity drama <laughs> you know because he uh think he says like you have to do this at school like you know you have to go to uh, study hour or whatever you're in detention and then the ranger's like crap how do i go save angel grove right now as a ranger i'm stuck in study hall ah, you know so, so he's just there to you know, provide some complications same with miss appleby who's one of their teachers the world is literally burning and the rangers are in detention Yep. That is, that is one of the episodes that is probably, that is one of the, the hangups or the plot points in one of these episodes is, you know, something happens, the Rangers get involved with bulk and skull bulk and skull causes them to be put in detention while the world is on fire, but the Rangers are stuck. <laughs> it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that meme with the dog and everything around him is burning. It's like, everything is fine. 
Everything is fine. This is fine. Yes, this, exactly. This is fine. This is fine. Yeah. So we have that. And now we have to talk about, because this is one of the other things that gets established in this. It's a trope of Sentai, and it becomes a trope of Power Rangers in this, and that is the Sixth Ranger. It, oh, I mean, it's a tro- it basically has its own name. That is the name of the trope, the Sixth Ranger. So we have, because the thing about this, about season one, is that season one, and this is something, people are kind of averse to this idea now because we've been trained to enjoy serialized television and being able to binge things is like they're just, you know, 10-hour movies now. Right. Thank you, Netflix. But, you know, so people are a little averse to this, but this is a very episodic show because that's how you generally did television back then. Yeah. There's continuity and through lines, but it's generally very episodic. Monster of the Week sort of a thing, especially when this this first season, 60 episodes, man. <laughs> so, well, I mean, it was originally supposed to be 50, but that was 40 or no, it was originally supposed to be 40. Yeah. yeah we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, but, uh, so, but so we have a little bit of time where it's just our initial five team members. And then, you know, later on, they throw in a sixth ranger or some sort of a new ally or whatever that changes the dynamic a little bit. That's one of the things that's, that I will say is smart about Mighty Morphin is that despite the fact that it still has this monster of the week format, they usually throw something in periodically to change up the status quo a little bit. And the easiest mm. way to do that is to introduce a new character, the sixth ranger. And we have, he's the first sixth ranger and is by far the most iconic of the six Rangers man needs no introduction. It is Tommy Oliver played by the, the great Jason David Frank. I mean, we could dedicate an entire episode just to the six, just to green with evil. And that, which we are, which we are spoiler warning. You are sponsoring an episode of the monster Island film vault where we're going to talk about green with evil. So if you want a little bit more detail on green with evil, check out that episode. (laughs) But there is so much we can talk about with Tommy Oliver, his character and the, and you know, the green Rangers debut. Uh, essentially, you know, Tommy is the new kid on the block. Yeah, he's cool. He's by far the most proficient at Mar- the actor out of all the actors, I should say. In universe, they play around with it, but you can tell just by watching the proficiency of these actors, he's the most talented martial artist. He knows what he's doing. Well, he was a Jason David Frank was a black belt at this point. Even though they they kind of play they kind of play him and Jason being able to basically fight to a drama like yeah that's just because the show says so <laughs> i know jason david frank would win <laughs> but he's a sensitive soul a bit as well so he's different than the other guys on the team tommy's debut his his debut man like what is there like what how is there a better way to introduce a a sixth ranger by immediately turning him evil yeah, he's a villain. That's the thing that makes Tommy's story interesting. Like I said, listen to the film vault and you'll get more details on this. But he's initially a villain, which goes with the Sentai. I've been watching Zhu Ranger of late and it ties in with the Sentai very well. So Rita decides, well, I'm going to fight fire with fire. I'll make my own dang ranger. And so she finds Tommy, turns him into, puts him under a spell. Make, uh, makes him a green ranger. And then for the next five episodes, that was such a big deal, man. When it happened, it was like, it was this five part episode. You had to watch every day for the entire week to see what would happen. 
and it was that was just pure hype when that was going on. I remember it was nuts. And yeah. you know, so you watch this whole thing and it was the most difficult challenge that the Rangers had ever faced up until that point by far. And it was just nuts. You know, they, it, so it's break, it's breaking away from the monster of the week formula to a certain extent with it. And it's just crazy. Mm. Yeah. Spoiler. When we get into our awards, a lot of my awards are going to come from that five-parter. Oh, um, but I, I don't blame you because I feel like green with evil is the moment where I feel like mighty Morphin really gelled and it coalesced that five-parter, I think solidified the show as an icon at that point. Yeah. You introduced Tommy who, and Jason Differing has been nothing but a friend of the, uh, to the franchise for almost 30 years now. I mean, that's what he's known for. He's done, he's done other things outside of Power Rangers, but, you know, he is the Green Ranger. He yeah, he is, is really, he's one of those people, he's like, he's like a Christopher Reeve or even like a Robert Downey Jr. where he plays a superhero and he just embraces the fact mm. that he played a superhero. Christopher Reeve, really, like, Christopher Reeve is Superman. I don't care what anyone says. There's been plenty of other actors who have played the character. Christopher Reeve is Superman. To to piggyback off of that, there's been plenty of other competent characters who have played the sixth Ranger role. But you know, Jason David Frank and that and Tommy and the the character of Tommy, you know, that is that is I that is an icon. Like that yeah. is the that is an icon of pop culture at this point. Yeah, and honestly. Despite the fact that Tommy becomes a couple different Rangers after this during his run, I hate to say it, I, you might disagree with me a little bit. I still like him best as the Green Ranger. Ah, uh, you know that also might talk, be because that's who I'm cosplaying in our in our uh, totally BA podcast logo. But <laughs> well, I mean, well, well, okay. I'll I'll save it for when we talk about season two. I'll save it for when we talk yeah, about season. I'm just saying, I really like it's a great look. But it, but Tommy ends up having an interesting little arc in this where he's the, he's this good kid put under a spell, mm -hmm. and then at uh, at the end of it he's like oh my gosh I did so many horrible things and then the rest of the ranger you know Tommy and uh, not Tommy Jason tells him hey it's okay man it's okay yeah but the the thing with that the thing with that is though like there was always that tension though between and the, and it was a lot of it was manufactured tension by the show producers and by the writers but there was always that tension between Jason and Tommy and that finally gets resolved in an episode called Gung Ho where they were Rita essentially the the crux the 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 plot of that episode is Rita has found this super what they quote quote-unquote super putty so she makes these <laughs> which just looks the same as all the other putties <laughs> right which is so she makes this these super putties that are supposedly invincible and they trounce the rangers for uh the first half of the episode so zordon sends uh jason and tommy off on a quest to find these special weapons that never get used again in for the rest of the series I have, I also weapons that clearly have shoe ranger branding on them <laughs> And I think that's probably why they never get used again for the rest of the series. Uh, it's not the because... only thing that has Shoe Ranger branding on it, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Tommy and Jason have to work together to get mm -hmm. to obtain these weapons. And they're met with a uh, they're met Titanus. with some obstacles. 
Yeah. They're met with a, with the, an obstacle by the name of Titanus, which turns out to be an ally at the, at the end of the episode. And it was all just a quote unquote, a test by Zordon to, to make, to yeah. force Tommy and Jason to yeah, work. Uh, let's be honest. Jason and Tommy are a pair of alpha males and <laughs> they want right. to, and they're always trying to one up each other. And well, they were in that episode. I wish they had played that out a little bit more. I would have liked to have seen a bit more, of that rivalry throughout because yeah, I do I'm, think they would, they would naturally butt quickly. heads. They would naturally. Yeah. Butt that heads. Yeah. Yeah. That was resolved in my opinion, way too quickly. That was, that yeah, was, but that's like a lot of things with this. It was, it was a convention of the time, you know, it, yeah, it's, it would introduce these things and then they would get resolved relatively quickly. I do think they could have played around a little bit more, which the audio drama does play around a little bit more with Tommy's regret over what he did under Rita's spell. The comics developed that <laughs> heck of a lot more too. <laughs> the Boom Studios stuff. Well, but, there's also the the jealousy between Jay. There's also that jealousy element of that's played around with in the audio drama and the comics between uh, Jason. The the jealousy love triangle between Jason, Kimberly, yeah, and Tommy. Which, where well, Kim- we'll talk about it a bit more. But I have a feeling if the 2017 movie had gotten a sequel, that would have definitely happened. <laughs> Oh, I think so too. I, 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 I think I definitely think so too, but you know, Tommy has this, Tommy has this really interesting arc by the end of it. And he's become sort of this, this to, to not exhaust this portion of the conversation too much. Um, you know, that whole story arc with Jason and Tommy, you know, having to work together and kind of grow up and put aside their differences is kind of, uh, adds to the overall theme of coming of age for this season. Yeah, for sure. Although the thing that's ironic about it, uh, I noticed this uh, as, I, as I was reviewing for the show, and that is, again, because they were slave to the Sentai footage, because in the Sentai, his Sentai counterpart th- is basically banished into a pocket dimension, and he only has, in the pocket dimension, he's fine, but if he leaves, he only has a finite amount of time where he'll be able to live. So they, he couldn't show up for ver- very often, and if he did, it wasn't for very long. And the way that they translate it, and then then eventually he would die. Which spoiler warning? That's what happens to him. The Green Ranger and the Sentai dies, and then and then gives his powers to the Red Ranger, which they do in this. But the way they translate it into this is that eventually, in a rather interesting two part episode called "The Green Candle," Rita decides, "Well, fine. If I can't control Tommy anymore, I'm going to take his powers away. Here's my Mm -hmm. magic candle to do it." Yeah, and the and the way they um and the way they kind of um retcon that is, the Rangers are asking, well, well, how can Rita do that? Well, because at some point or another, and it, it's never shown on screen that Tommy must have touched the wax that Rita yeah. used to take away her powers. Because the whole thing about the wax is, who which whoever touches it, the wax can now absorb their life force. Yeah, basically. So they managed to translate it where it's not about, well, Tommy, well, I think they said Tommy could die. I think they kind of played around with it, but it's basically his powers are finite, which is why it's so interesting that he became such an icon when they had basically a limiter (laughs) on top of the whole thing. So they couldn't use him as much as I think they wanted to especially later on. Cause like later on he loses his powers and then he doesn't show up very often. And when he, but when he did, it was an event, you know, <laughs> it was a big yeah. deal. <laughs> well, it, it was like, uh, I think it was, it was in the episode return of an old friend that they, they're able to give him just enough power 
to save the Rangers. Yeah. But if we're going to talk about this, we have to, oh God, we need to talk about that dragon shield. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> there was a, what was it? The Power Rangers hyper or whatever. I forgot what it was called, but one of those Power Ranger Twitter accounts posted pictures of it and oh, said, do you prefer uh, your soft taco? Soft taco versus hot, uh, versus hard, uh, taco. hard taco. And uh, yeah. I replied by saying hard, very hard. <laughs> <laughs> take that however you want but oh boy but uh yeah because saban would make their own foot would would film their own footage they had right. the cost a lot of the costumes sent them the monster costumes the ranger costumes they would film their own footage just to insert in there and they had the green ranger costume sent to him and i swear i heard a story that said that well it's, the dragon shield that they sent him because it's this kind of like this fancy breastplate that the green ranger has this this extra flourish that makes mm -hmm. him look different than the rest of them and if you watch the sentai footage it looks amazing it looks great it's perfectly proportioned it's wonderful and then you watch the saban made footage and it's unfortunately the first time we see the green ranger <laughs> In costume, it's, it's a bot footage. I heard, I swear, I heard a story that said the that the dragon shield was sent overseas to Saban, but it was damaged in transit, so they had to make their own. <laughs> they made it out of cloth. It's way too big. The design is slightly different. It looks really flimsy and cheap. It just, it's hard to look at. So I mean, that is, that's one of the, that's one of like the, the biggest differences between, well, there's a lot of differences between the Sentai footage and the, and the American footage. You can just tell which is which, but the biggest, most obvious difference is the dragon shield. And I'm with you. I think I prefer my tacos hard, at least <laughs> in this instance, uh, I'm typically a soft taco guy, but for this, for this I'm going to prefer hard tacos because I, and, and I think you're right. The rumor is that the shield was damaged in transit over from Japan to Los Angeles where the, where the show was filmed. And um, yeah, I don't understand why they couldn't have just remade it in this. Maybe they were just limited on time or resources, but yeah, there's, I don't know what they were thinking there. Maybe. And, but but here's the thing. Here's the thing, too. Maybe it was a matter of it just simply didn't fit. That's what I also keep thinking about, too. Maybe it just simply did not fit. Like, because if you look at the actor who played uh, the Green Range, the Green Jew Ranger and Jason David Frank, Jason David Frank is appears to be substantially bigger and brawnier than the actor who played. Well, that's uh, if that's the case, they probably they would have had to have resized all those suits. Because you can tell that in the Saban footage that the Rangers look, uh, they're, they're different sizes. We'll say the Red Ranger in particular looks like a bigger dude <laughs> than in the, than in the Sentai footage. And then obviously, you know, the Yellow Rangers are girls, so that's going to look different. They, they obviously have a stunt woman playing the Yellow Ranger in the Saban footage. <laughs> you know, it's just... Yeah, I mean, but you know, we need to let's move on from yeah, let's, let's move on from the, our. I, we have to. I want to talk about the swords next. I forgot to add the that swords. To the okay, notes. so okay, we need to talk, talk about, about the, the swords. swords. And again, much like, much like how I said how this team is iconic, and you know, despite all the rest of them have come over, uh, come since then, the swords from this season are iconic as well. They had several different sort uh, sets of swords uh, in the next couple seasons of Mighty Morphin, but again, whenever they reboot this. They go back to this Zord set, this part of the well. 
they just work there. It's, you know, the Megazord let's, if we could talk about the Megazord just specifically here. Um, it's where like, sir, like how later seasons of power Rangers and I'm looking at you, Dino Fury become, um, extremely, extremely over-designed and bulky. And there's, and they do this whole, uh, modge podge of different elements to different. Yeah, swords, and they're not only over designed and bulky, but they're also because they're using CG and not practical suits. They're ridiculously athletic for ba- lack of a better way to pose. Like you are just giving the proverbial middle finger to physics more so than you normally do with this. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I think that the the original Dino Megazord was it's it's well designed, it's well proportioned, it looks cool. Yeah, it's got uh, a little it, bit of an Optimus Prime flavor to it, which I kind of a little like. bit, yeah, a little bit. I you love know, it. Yeah, the I like parts it. all go together very nice. It, they Voltron very well. <laughs> and the other thing that I like about this one because we they start getting away from this in later Power Ranger, and I think the Sentai's do this a bit too, is. See, it feels like season one, they actually let the individual Zords do more. There are actually episodes where the individual Zords, particularly the T-Rex, good Lord, that T-Rex Zord mm-hmm. gets to do a lot of stuff on its own. And I'm yeah, like, I want more of this. Because a lot of times, particularly in Power Rangers, you barely see the individual Zords. They just combine and get it over with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was I'm the, like, that's, no, that, I want to see what the they can do by themselves. Come on. <laughs> yeah, that was I mean, like the, the T-Rex Zord even has a finishing move. Yeah, the um uh the whirlwind that where he shoots the whirlwind into the ground and it causes a tornado or something of that yeah, nature. And uh you know, he he has a, he has the kangaroo the gorosaurus kangaroo kick that he uses every now and then. <laughs> yeah, by propping himself on his tail and <laughs> Yeah, I mean I was like I want more of this. You know, and the the mastodon has a has a freezing ray from not ray, but a freezing spray from its trunk. Uh the the Triceratops has uh, has hook lines, you know, with chains, and uh, the the Pterodactyl Zord has ray guns. I don't remember. Oh, uh, the Saber Tooth Tiger has a giant laser cannon for a tail. I mean, they can do stuff on their own. And this season, they let them do more. The Sentai, you can see more of the individual Zords doing stuff, but in Power Rangers, they still kept some of it. And then later seasons, you barely see that anymore. <laughs> Yeah, but the, the the Megazord though is the showpiece. The, is oh, the showpiece of the show. So that's sure. why that's why you know a lot of these late a lot of the later seasons they don't focus so much on the individual Zords. They just transform and get it over with and get into the battle. And one thing that I uh, really appreciate, especially about this first season, is um, you know the Zord Monster of the Week battles tend to last a little bit longer than later seasons where it's just transform swipe sword. It's over, you know, that yeah, kind of basically. Thing. Yeah. But the other, the other swords that we get this season are also highly memorable and quite iconic. We've talked about Titanus already, who looks like a Brachiosaurus and he's a carrier Zord. That's a little bit of a trope that we see. We have a mm-hmm. carrier Zord. So I mean, Titan and Titanus is cool. I will say that Titanus is yeah, cool. Titanus is a good. T- yeah, Titanus, uh, you know, is, Titanus is was the last piece they needed to make the quote unquote Ultra Zord, which you know, if they're going Ultra, it's a one heck of a monster, and Ultra Zord's not on screen for very long. <laughs> no, Ultra Zord just wins. <laughs> but in order to make Ultra Zord, we need the other. Uh, mm-hmm. We need the other 
big boy. We need and Dragon Zord. Dragon Caesar. Oh, well, no, it's Dragon Zord in this. <laughs> Dragon <laughs> Caesar's in the Sentai. Shut up. But anyway, so we have Dragon Zord in this. Good Lord, Dragon Zord is so cool. <laughs> what else? Dragon Zord is, he, was is Dragon... he was inspired by Godzilla. He he looks like Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> You know, the coolest thing, and this is so, I actually tried looking this up. The coolest thing is that Tommy controls him with the dragon dagger, which is also a flute. And he can play this wonderful little tune. It's all permanently etched in our brains. All right. And it's just, it's just so wonderfully mythic. And I'm just like, this is just so incredibly cool. I love this. It actually inspired me to try to look up literary equivalence to this because it's such a cool idea this idea of someone controlling a creature with a flute and the, the most obvious mm -hmm. example i could find was the pied piper story of the pied piper where right. he used it to control rats and then children because <laughs> he was a terrible person uh, there uh the famous opera the magic flute by mozart uh, the titular magic flute could uh, one of the many things it could do was it could summon animals and make the animals dance. So there's mythic precedent for this. And it's such a cool idea. I can't say that enough. This is one of the coolest ideas, I think, in Power Rangers. This, this dagger that's a flute and it can command a giant dragon robot. I mean, that is just the recipe for awesome right there. I can't say that enough. <laughs> no, I, I know you're right. But I, I think one thing that I wish, and you and I had this discussion the other night, that I wish that they would have done more in Power Rangers was show the relationship between the Green Ranger and the Dragon Zord, there is little nods to it where Tommy talks to it. It's like, like old friend, go back to yeah, the sea. Yeah, yeah. I think, but I think it, in Power Rangers, the context is more like, you know, like guys talking about their cars. You know, like they kind of personify the car a little bit, but it's more mm -hmm. just like an affectionate thing. It's more like an imagined thing. You know, right? Yeah, you know, like you know, that's why people name their cars. Okay, I mean, I've named every car I've owned. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just a funny I thing wish we do. That, whereas in the sentai they're actually sentient yeah i wish that they would have kind of played a little bit more with that though like showing the relationship between tommy the green ranger and the dragon zord similar to how uh what is the sent what is the green ranger's name in sentai i forget Burai. um Barai showing the Barai so showing the relationship between Barai and Dragon Caesar where there's an episode solely dedicated to Dragon Caesar mourning the death of Barai spoiler if you've not seen Jay yeah. Ranger um which I think is incredibly interesting and you and I were talking about that the other night yeah it's it's a really interesting concept but they went a different route with this and I under I can understand you know you want to make it a little bit different and I, I like but the the sheer coolness that is Dragon Sword still works in this I would say. And now, oh, absolutely. Now we need to talk about the villains. You need to talk about the villains, man. So we got our first ever boss who, for most people, in the Power Ranger fandom, people think of other villains. But outside the fandom, this is who everybody remembers. And that is Rita Repulsa. <laughs> I have such a headache. Oh my gosh. I'm channeling my inner Wicked Witch of the West so hard. <laughs> you can tell that. You can tell that the creators of the show love Wizard of Oz. <laughs> oh, yes. She there's... is so Wicked Witch. Because <laughs> the Bandora, Bandora is her Sentai counterpart. And she doesn't quite sound like that. <laughs> it's similar enough, but they ex they take it up 
another notch in this where she's just screeching all the time. <laughs> I mean, there's there's definitely there's definitely uh, inspirations from the Wizard of Oz in this because in the opening scene, in the opening episode in particular, you see that moment where Rita is flying on her little bicycle and yeah, Goldar which flying. you don't see very often in power Rangers. It's in the Sentai more from what I can remember. It is, it is, it is more so in the Sentai, but beside her is her number one, her, her right-hand man, her, her main general Goldar. This series also establishes the, the uh, tropes and archetypes for the villains that we see in power Rangers. So we have the boss who is our main villain. Mm-hmm. So in this, it's Rita Repulsa, the screechy space witch. And then we have the quote unquote general. And in this case, it's Goldar, which is a bit of a nerd reference because there was in Space Giants, which was a Toku show from the 60s. They have a, a giant robot named Goldar. <laughs> so that's got to be a little bit of a deep cut from the creators. I don't know if they've gone on record as saying that. But it's like, how could you not? Because it's spelled the same and everything. And so he's a gold armored something no one can agree they've called him a monkey they've called he's been described as a as a wolf he's been described as a lion in the sentai he's griffersar so he's a griffin which makes a little bit more sense but i've always i've always viewed him as sort of a an anubis type character yeah yeah which also would make sense but he's the quote-unquote general he's the main henchman the go-to guy and the, he's different than the Sentai. And Griffersar in the Sentai doesn't really have a personality. He's just a very obedient, he's just a very obedient, very powerful henchman. He doesn't even talk. He's just, he just grunts and growls yeah. and things like that. In this, they gave him a personality and mm-hmm. a voice. So he actually talks. And that actor, that actor, it took him a little while to get the voice. Because if you watch those early episodes, it doesn't, if you're used to what came later, it doesn't quite sound the same. It took him yeah, it, a handful of episodes to settle on a voice. It, he's a he's a great addition to the cast. He works very well with Rita. He's well, the muscle, basically. Because he's the muscle. Rita yeah. is all about magic, and he's the muscle. <laughs> you know, it, it's also there's also this element too that gets revealed later on that uh, you know Goldar is a very loyal character. He's very loyal to whomever he serves. But the caveat being, if someone more powerful comes along, he will change sides. Basically. Basically. And I like early Goldar because early Goldar was a much more serious threat, which we'll talk about later how they, oh boy, (laughs) poor Goldar later. How they they neutered some of the characters. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. We'll talk about that. So we have Goldar the general. Then we have our monster maker, who in this is Finster who in the Sentai is what is like Pleprechaun or something like that. He talks a little bit like this, you know, he's, yeah. he's kind of a little bit soft-spoken. Uh, and he, uh, he talks to Rita and he's like, well, my queen, I will absolutely, let me just make my monster here. And I've got plenty of monsters for you to. <laughs> Apparently he's uh, a sculptor because so, he makes all the monsters out of clay and he has a machine right. that brings them to life. The monster-matic. <laughs> yep. And you know, so uh, that's the, the, not the gimmick, but that's uh, the shtick in this is that he molds the monsters and then puts them in the machine and they come to life. So he's the monster maker. And we have monster makers you know, throughout a lot of Power Rangers after this. 
Mm-hmm. So that's his thing. And then we have the comic relief villains in this case, again, like Bulk and Skull. In fact, that there's even a, a there's even an episode in season two, I think, where <laughs> Rita says, oh, great, a human Bulk and a human squat and Babu, you know, because <laughs> it's squat and Babu. They're, they're these buffoons in this, and they're kind of the comic relief characters. That's really all they do. They help out sometimes, but they're generally just... <laughs> they're generally they're, they're just, generally just whipping boys. <laughs> yeah, they're just they're comic relief. They're bystanders. You know, they don't do a whole lot. At least in Power Rangers, they have a little bit more role. They have a little bit more of a role to play in the Sentai. But as you know, as far as as far as Power Rangers goes, they don't have a whole lot. They just kind of they just kind of cower in the corner and try not to get beat up by what, whoever their master is at that moment. Yeah, basically. So they have a role to play, but you know, like I said, generally they're for comic relief. And then we had we had one more character who came on a little bit later, yep. who became quite a fan favorite, even though, weirdly enough, she didn't show up as much as you would have expected her to. <laughs> and that is yeah. Scorpina. <laughs> yeah, I think, and Scorpina kind of lays the groundwork for the femme fatale villain character. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they, although they radically changed her in the Sentai, her Sentai counterpart, she's married to Griffersar. Yes. Which they work around in this because Scorpina and Goldar are not interested in each other. I kind of wish they had kept it though, because if you watch Zhu Ranger, she Lami is the is her counterpart's name. She's clearly evil and a force to be reckoned with, but she is wonderfully affectionate with Griffersar, and I'm like, I want this. <laughs> Oh, she she loves her man. That is for sure. She, she loves does. Her man. She does. And the audio drama plays with that because uh, Goldar and Scorpita and the audio drama are married. So there's some elements of the Sentai thrown in there. And I kind of mm. wish they had that in the show a little yeah. bit. But, At least you know, some I of get that. it. I get it. I get why they couldn't have done. I get why they couldn't necessarily have done it. Well, actually, no, I don't get it. I don't get why they couldn't have done it because there's nothing in the Sentai that's totally out of left field that it can't be recontextualized. Yeah, I think so. I don't know. It's just a, just a choice that they made, I suppose, you know? Yeah. But yeah. You know, so yeah, the femme fatale, she's a, she brings a little bit of a new dynamic. She has a good look. If you look actually, it's weird when I, you know, watching a bit of you Ranger, seeing her and, uh, quote unquote Goldar standing next to each other like their armors look alike. No wonder they're they're you know a pair, which they completely ignore <laughs> in Power Rangers, which is fine. But yeah, you know, she like I said, and she's unique in that you know one of the tropes of Power Rangers, you know, make make my monster grow. You know, so the you know they the it usually not season one was good actually about not adhering completely to the formula, which I actually wish they would have done more often. <laughs> particularly in later seasons. I was like, can we actually have some times where they kill the monster of the week without resorting to the Zords without getting huge? Well, we get that some, we get that that some some more so in season one, but later on, they're really leaning hard into the try to solve the problem without Zords. Monster gets big, call Zords problem solved, you know? Right. So the thing that's interesting about Scorpina is that she actually turns into a monster when she gets big whereas the other characters they're just larger versions mm-hmm. so but so she has a monstrous form which kind of you know i mean if you thought scorpina was pretty beforehand which she is when she's a monster you're like hey yeah no <laughs> again kind of playing into the femme fatale thing where it's like yeah sure sure yeah get a little bit closer get a little closer you're dead <laughs> well she she shapes when she when she gets large she shapeshifts into this uh, actual scorpion creature. Yeah, I know. Um, 
her uh she has a long braided hair that's actually a stinger it's good mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah she has uh her main weapon is instead of a sword it's a giant claw yeah uh, a giant scorpion claw uh it's just really terrifying it's it's honestly nightmare fuel um for anyone uninitiated i suggest you go and check out uh one of scorpina's first episodes which actually which actually it was happens green with to evil be, part three i think was it part three okay i was gonna say it, it was, was part, part two four. or part three okay yeah so yeah she scorpina shows up pretty early like she shows up later but she shows up like mid-season maybe like 15 or so episodes in uh and she does make an impact and she sticks around throughout the entire season and she comes back in season two if i'm not mistaken uh for not a, for, a, for a, not a lot she just mysteriously vanishes which is unfortunate yeah. yeah a lot of it had to do with just not being able to with not having more sentai footage and not being able to recast her on the saban side of things they mm-hmm. tried but it just didn't quite stick yeah. but now but you know, since we're talking about monsters of the week uh we've got a there's a lot in this show, but we, uh, we're going to, I mean, 60 episodes. Yeah. We're going to, we're going <laughs> to try we'll, to we'll highlight a few that we think are the most memorable. Yeah. For, and I think our lists are going to be a little bit different. Well, there's going to be some similarities, yeah, but there's, there's going to be some similarities. So uh, I'll let you start. Well, uh, cause I have, uh, I've got five. I think you have about that many. So uh, have, what do you I have, have about five? Yeah. I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to move through these as quickly as I can. So, um, for my first monster of the week, I'm going to say, I'm going to go to King Sphinx. Uh, King Sphinx. King Sphinx. Uh, yeah. has uh, it's just a wonderful design. He's great in the Sentai, and he's great in this. It's kind of the token Egyptian-themed villain. You have to do that. It's just mm-hmm. <laughs> it's ancient Egypt is you know what's is weird about what's weird about King Sphinx. What's weird about King Sphinx is King Sphinx has been uh, featured in a lot of Ranger media after this, but he was only in one episode. I know. So that the, tells you that the tell design. You the design is so good that they wanted to use it for other things, but you know, I think some it, people have liked to joke. Only... I think some people like to joke that he's Goldar's brother. <laughs> That's honestly what a lot of folks thought for, for the longest time, but no, it's, it's, it's not Goldar's brother. Even in the Sentai, they're nowhere near related in the Sentai. He's Doris Sphinx. Um, but, but yes, King Sphinx is what King Sphinx is on my list of most memorable monsters. Let's yeah. what's your, I, had, what's your uh, I also one? had him. Uh, we have to talk okay. about this one because for this must've been one that just the creators of the show just really loved because they still, they reuse this costume a couple of times and they reference him. I think more than any other past monster of the week. Oh, I and know who you're talking about. And that's pudgy pig. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause pudgy <laughs> pig is such a weird design. He's literally a pig head with arms, legs, and a Roman centurion helmet. <laughs> He's absurd. And, but his gimmick in both the Sentai and power Rangers is that he eats everything. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what it is. He just eats everything. I think if I'm not mistaken, he's the most, he's the most reoccurring monster of the week, uh, in the first couple of seasons or the first season. He's at least the one that gets referenced the most. I think there are some other monsters that come back more than pudgy pig, but they talk about him more Mm -hmm. than any other. Like he gets referenced several times, even like, like two seasons later, they're still talking about him at least once or twice. I think he's so, it's so memorable because you're right. It is such an absurd design. And for the subject matter that we're talking about, it just honestly works. Yeah. And I think it's also might've been, I think that was one of the first monster suits that they had sent over 
to Saban for them to use to make their own footage. Because in his episode, he he goes to the juice bar and wreaks havoc there. <laughs> so maybe that was a little bit too. So it's like, ooh, the curse like, yeah, we got one of the monster suits, man. Yeah, so they were playing around with that. What's another one you had? Uh, next one I had, I because it would not, we would not be able to talk about season one without referencing uh, something that is lovingly called Zhu Two. Uh, which what which is in reference to the footage specifically filmed for Power Rangers? Yeah, because, because the show was originally uh, was originally bought for forty episodes, and when you get to episodes thirty nine and forty, they feel like a finale. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. show by that point was just so popular that they were able to get themselves twenty more episodes. But they were out of Zhu Ranger of uh, Ranger footage, so they went to Toei and said, "Hey, will you make more footage for us? That's only going to be for us." Which you can definitely tell because those Ranger actors are technically not playing the Zhu Rangers. They're playing the Power Rangers. So their behavior is a little bit different and is actually more in line with the actual characters, Power Rangers. And there's logistical differences too. Like the Zhu Rangers don't talk to each other on risk communicators. The Zhu Rangers don't teleport. You know, the the relationships between the characterizations are different. The relationships between the characters are different. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, it would not be, we would not be able to talk about this without me slightly referencing some of the Jutu. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so, it's it's just, it's unique because there's nothing else that's quite like that in the rest of the franchise where Toei produced footage that was never used in any Super Sentai. It was just mm-hmm. Power Rangers. So the one I'm, so the one I picked from Jutu is the Pexter, which is this, uh, crow or uh crow or magpie i want to say he's a magpie maybe um with human legs human arms but a giant bird head and his personality type is chaotic to say the least he's he's very puntastic he's his one of uh one of his main uh one of his main weapons is he can unfail his wings placed on the back of his uh body and create whirlwinds with those like there's a lot of monsters with wings in this series i've noticed yes um but the pexter shows up a few times in he shows up a, he shows up a couple times in season one or first time one time in season one a couple times in season two maybe around the later part and he's referenced some in the series but he doesn't he's not he doesn't get as much traction as say uh pudgy pig or some others yeah that's for sure i think my favorite zhu 2 monster is the lizenator i wish they had leaned a little bit more into the schwarzenegger with that they didn't do it as much as i thought but so there you go you're talking a march and schwarzenegger impersonation for the day you're welcome <laughs> i mean it's not terrible I will, i'll give you that it's not terrible <laughs> it's more parody schwarzenegger than real schwarzenegger i admit that but <laughs> but anyway i uh one of the ones i had uh, i have to bring him up uh, he's more uh, maybe to most people he's not memorable but he's memorable to me because this is the first one i saw first episode of power ranger i ever saw I had this monster that was terror toad and it was oh, okay. weird, dude. It was so weird watching that. And he's literally eating the Rangers. And I just thought, what is this show? <laughs> what is the show where he is eating these superheroes? I don't understand. It was surreal. In, in, insert uh, vor insert vor kink reference here. Uh, no. Anyway, so so he's a. Uh, <laughs> 
He's a man-eating toad, and uh, he would eat the rangers, and then a picture of their face would appear on his belly, and he's like, oh, yes, it's so delicious. <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm like, yeah. okay, dude. <laughs> this is okay. Weird. So if if we're going that route, if we're going the route of monsters that we remember from our initial watch of the Power Rangers, I'm going to go with one that doesn't get talked about a whole lot, and that is Hatchosaurus, which is this weird, like I don't, I can't tell if it's supposed to be a dragon, a gargoyle, a turtle, or just a dinosaur. I think in Jew Ranger, it's uh, um, it's mentioned that it's maybe an ancient dinosaur type creature, but essentially, it's this it's already this ancient creature, and it's controlled by a internal heart that is also sentient on its own. Uh, in the Power Rangers, it's called Cardiotron. I cannot remember what it's called in. Oh, uh, Cardiotron is a Cardiotron is a weird one, dude. I remember that one too. I'm like, good yeah, lord, Car- this is strange. <laughs> so the only the only way to defeat this monster because everything the Rangers threw at it, like the the creature just kept evolving and getting more powerful. So the only way to really destroy it was for Jason, the Red Ranger, to uh, go inside of it and kill Cardiotron because it's later revealed after the Megazord destroys it, the it's able to reform itself because you didn't kill the heart, which is a trope that's been used in science fiction before. Like you have to destroy the heart of the beast to uh, really destroy the beast itself. So, I mean, that's, that's uh, one of uh, my... Uh, Frankenstein conquers the world, anyone? I just... Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and speaking of Frankenstein, didn't you have a certain I also, uh, yes, Frankenstein. The or isn't he like Dora Frank or whatever? And <laughs> it's Dora it's Dora Frank. Yes, it's Dora yeah, Frank. Yeah, in the Sentai, who's vastly different in the Sentai, but <laughs> very different. But it was in the Token Halloween episode. So it's Frankenstein's monster, but in a super sentai series and power rangers so he's a monster of the week he can pull off the the knobs on his neck and have chains and you know and hammer at like it has like hammer bits on the end and he can hit the megazord with it and everything and he looks very much like the universal frankenstein there's not a whole lot to say other than that it's the universal frankenstein but as a monster of the week villain in power rangers you know, it's funny that, and I, I know we'll t- we can. I want to mention this briefly. It's funny how they change the characterization of that monster from Zoo Ranger to this, uh, because in Zoo Ranger, Dora Frank is just one evolution of of the character. Because there's two other. Because apparently in Zoo Ranger, Frankenstein is the most powerful monster the Zoo Rangers have ever faced. So every time they kill Frank, he just reforms and evolves into something more deadly and and a lot more gruesome because the next phase after Dora Frank was uh uh zombie Frank and then there was uh Satan Frank because yeah that's a thing. Uh, yeah, so yeah uh, I in wish the Sentai Bandora is literally invoking the name of Satan, which they don't have Rita to do. <laughs> Well, I mean, that would okay. So this show was already already on the radar of all of the all the mom groups during the Satanic Panic area era. I cannot imagine what it would have been like if they actually oh, invoked the name of Satan. Oh man! But in Japan, that's just 
source material for them. There's, it has more baggage in the West to say the least, but yeah. So, but I think if I remember right, the other forms of Frank, which is other monsters of the week, just got repackaged as different monsters, right? Right. Exactly. It, it got, it got repackaged to uh mute. I think it just got repackaged to a monster called mutitis and yeah. mutitis was just it, the, the two versions of Dora Frank, uh, the mutant versions of Dora Frank just got repackaged as mutitis. Yeah, basically. And then the last one that I have, just because it's such a just crazy design, and that's Shellshock. <laughs> oh, <laughs> basically, he's Gamera with a traffic light on his uh, uh, on top of his back, which just what? And he well, he could literally play red was... light, green light with the Rangers. <laughs> Well, you know, it was uh, it was Squat and Babu's attempt at making their own monster. And I so know that's what it's they got. just it's just so absurd. It's like like it's just just picture Gamera with a traffic light on it on 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 it top of him. That's that's it. <laughs> that's shell shock. <laughs> just because of the the sheer weirdness of it. That's uh, that's how I remember. So uh, we were talking about it a little bit. But uh, we were trying to decide what's the main theme of this episode uh, of this. And we talked about a lot of the really important episode. We talked about Doomsday, which was the pseudo finale. And, uh, we, you know, and we'll talk a little bit about more, more about it when we get to the awards, because I have a couple of awards from that. Hmm. But the, we were trying to figure out what would be the main theme of this episode of this season, as long hmm. as it is as episodic as it is. And we were kind of deciding that it was the, it was a coming of age. So it's yeah. these young people who are chosen to inherit these powers and be heroes, uh, heed the call. And in true Campbellian fashion, they're reluctant heroes. They say no. They took the revelation that things like aliens and robots and ev- uh, sentient robots and everything are real very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> Just weird, <laughs> because again, this is it's you know it, it's a kids show and they've got twenty minutes so they got to move quickly so they're like okay uh no <laughs> no thanks and so you know so they leave so uh, but then they get accosted by putties who are I want I'm just gonna say right now the putties are the best henchmen in Mighty Morphin really i think they oh, are the well, best in my in, in my in mighty more okay so i can i can concur yeah. i can the, in concur. mighty morphin in the mighty morphin series the putties are my favorite henchmen okay because uh, they're they're actually kind of terrifying and a lot of if you stop and think about it a little bit uh, you know yeah. they're a little bit funny because they make weird noises but the fact that they make weird noises actually makes them a little scary but anyway and then then that's when they said okay well we should use these morphers now and then they they start to embrace being heroes, but there's, mm-hmm. there are trials and tribulations along the way because they're struggling to keep secret identities and all of this. And, you know, it, it mucks up their personal lives, their civilian lives a little bit as they go. Makes things complicated for them, which they lean into a little bit more in later seasons. But it's that idea, you know, that, that kind of rite of passage, that transitioning from childhood into adulthood. And, you know, so like, you know, coming of age, coming of age is basically its own genre of fiction at this point. Very popular with YA uh, novels and such, you know, that transition period. You're talking about young readers, the young readers style novels? Young adult, like Hunger Games and things like that. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. 
sorry, throwing literary writerly terms around and yeah. No, anyway, you're fine. Yeah. So, so there, there's a, a whole heck of a lot of that. And that's part of one of the appeals, I think, of having teenage heroes where they're kind of in that. And t- the teenage hero goes all the way back to the likes of, you know, like Robin in Batman. It is a thing. You know, the X-Men, when the, when the X-Men started, they were all teenage heroes. And so there's a lot of teenage angst and there's a lot of, you know, that, uh, you know, like I said, transitioning from childhood to adulthood. And that energy is definitely brought forward in this show. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's such, when we were, when we were discussing this podcast, we, one of the main things that we wanted to bring up was, was a theme. Like we wanted to try to find a deeper theme to this because we want to make sure that people know that there are, you know, there is some depth to something that can be mistaken for just a silly kid show, like something mm-hmm. that gets a bad rap at it, something that gets as kind of scoffed at as Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. There are some deeper themes. And I think um, the the when we landed on coming of age, it just made sense because, you know, you have our you have our kids that were thrust into this. Like you said, we have the, these kids that were thrust into this situation. So now that they're responsible, responsible for the entire world. And, you know, there are going to, there's some growing pains that come along with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And a lot of the episodes that we, you know, we really zeroed in on when we were thinking about this, you know, uh, obviously Day of the Dumpster, you know, that's, like I said, that's true Campbellian stuff, you know, uh, reluctant, a reluctant hero heeding the call, the call to adventure, you know, that sort of a thing. And then leaning right. into it and, you know, embracing the responsibility that comes with it. And, you know, and Zordon tells them like, hey, there are three requirements. Don't use your powers for personal gain. Keep a secret identity. Never escalate a fight. You know, which uh, I think I think is a pretty, you know, that's that's pretty straightforward and pretty a, pra- a, a practical set of rules to uh, to give to our heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, because which is why you know, it always astonishes me that as much as those parents groups were freaking out about this, if you stop and think about it, like this show is really about traditional heroics and doing the right thing. And I just, I feel like a lot of these parents groups couldn't get past the surface level stuff. And they're just freaking out over that and not realizing actually this is telling your kids to be good people. Yeah. They couldn't get past the, they couldn't get past like the, the scary monsters and the witchcraft and the, and the weird that they, they couldn't get past the weirdness to really see what was actually going on below the surface. And I think that's, I'm just, I'm just so happy that we're doing this podcast because we can kind of shed light yeah. on some of those things. Yeah. And then in green with evil, you saw that the whole coming of age thing in a different form with Tommy and his story. And mm-hmm. there, there's elements of, you know, the of redemption and regret. It, I wish they had been developed more obviously. And, but and you see with, that it plays with the theme of consequences. Like we, yeah. there are consequences to our actions. Mm-hmm. And there are re- and there are real regrets that come alongside that come along mm-hmm. with those actions and consequences. Mm-hmm. And I the, and other writers have really a later Power Ranger seasons and, and things like the Boom Studios comics have kind of leaned into that. That whole concept, the audio drama did as well, kind of leaning into that. The whole idea of, you know, Tommy, this good kid being made to do things that are just that are horrible mm-hmm. when he wouldn't have done that on his own, you know, being corrupted by Rita like that. And it, you know, the spell that Rita casts on him has to be broken. And as soon as he you know, comes to his senses, he realizes what horrible things that he's done, but then he's accepted and forgiven. 
by the rest of the Rangers and by Zordon and basically said, hey, you get to join. And then he spouts off lines that seem to refer to other lore that never gets explained. The prophecy has been fulfilled. The sixth Ranger has joined. It's like, where the frick did that come from? And like, where did the prophet, where is this prophecy at? Like, I don't remember. You you got to mention this. Were you going to mention this? You got to mention this? No. Okay. (laughs) Fine. Whatever. It's fine. Like, and there's, there's this little, there's this, I think there's this little interesting meta narrative that you can kind of pull out of this series too, to make it a little bit more relevant, but you know, being corrupted by culture, being corrupted by society, being corrupted by, you know, things that we see and do online can also be a, can also be viewed through the lens of green with evil and some of the, some of the themes here in power. Mm-hmm. And I think it also speaks to the idea that if you are a good person, mm-hmm. that which is evil will wants nothing more than to destroy you. Exactly. I mean, Rita, we always see that with Rita because she's mildly obsessed. There are points where Rita is not trying to take over the world. She just wants to be petty. <laughs> It's kind of fun. <laughs> like there's like what like this week Rita's like I'm going to send a monster to do horrible things and take over the world. Then the next week it's like I feel like making the Rangers Day horrible. <laughs> so sometimes she's just petty. Uh, <laughs> like oh you're go- oh you're going to the prom? Well I'm going to send down a monster so you can't go. Yeah, basically. You know? <laughs> so you know it's, just it's ruin their day. <laughs> it's like it's, it's like that, it's that kind it, of it's like the boss that well not boss but it's like one of those people who just makes it their <laughs> makes it their calling in life to make you miserable for whatever reason. You know they yeah, just don't exactly. Like you. But anyway, my point being is that the nature of evil is to seek out that which is good and either corrupt it or destroy it. And I feel like that's you could make the argument that's what Rita does. She sees that Tommy is is a good kid. He's very prof- he, he was very proficient in things like martial arts and all that. So she has to use her magic to make him her thrall. He's disciplined. He won't do it willingly. She makes him do it with her powerful magic. She has to corrupt and destroy him because that is what she does. This at this, at this point in Power Rangers, we have very black and white heroes villains, which works. For what we're going, for what we're doing here, it works. Now the the series evolves, the franchise evolves as it goes. But here, for what it is, it works very well, and that's a and it's also you know goes back to the kind of the fairy tale connections with Rita because she's very much like a fairy tale witch, and so that's what mm-hmm. they do. They seek out that which is good and just to destroy or corrupt it, and that's what she does to Tommy, and then he exactly. deals with that. You know he's still worried about her influence uh, you know as time goes on and you know then the powers are not working and you know so there's he has a lot of angst attached to it throughout the rest of the season and into season 2 yeah i think this this episode is 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 going is this episode is already going to be long anyway but nathan we have one more segment to get through before we can call it a day at least for episode 1 uh and that is our awards Yes. So, so for anyone who is new to the podcast, we like to do awards. We have to give out awards to for certain aspects of a series, similar to what we, similar to what you and Travis do on Hinch and Men. But mm-hmm. like I said, it's probably the formula perfected. But, um, <laughs> but uh, Nathan, would you care to give our listeners with attitude the rundown of what awards we'll be giving out? All right. Our first award is the Power Range of Motion. You're welcome. 
<laughs> for the best stunt or fight scene. So, Michael, since this show is your brainchild, even though I came up with the title, you're welcome. What was yours? Because I don't know what yours is. <laughs> okay, so hands down, hands down, my favorite fight scene is the first uh, hand-to-hand encounter with the Power Rangers and the evil Green Ranger. There is a there is so much drama on that in that battle on the beach. I, I'm call I called it the battle on the beach. That sounds where, like a wrestling pay per view, but okay. <laughs> the battle on the beach. See Tommy Oliver take on all of the Power Rangers. Um, <laughs> I just think. Actually, that'd be Goldar. I am Goldar. I come get me Hulk Hogan. I be Red Ranger. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just think it's such a well choreographed fight between the between those group of actors and actresses, and yeah. that's why for for this season one, I'm going to give that. I'm going to uh, give my has, power range the, of motion award. That's when he has the sword of darkness too, right? Yes, yes. That's yeah. when he was given the sword. Yeah, after the after he's bestowed the sword of darkness, things you know you know, crap gets real. Uh, let's just oh, say that. Yeah, for sure. I, mine actually was from much later in the season and is actually a Zord battle. <laughs> oh, okay. It's a Zord battle and it's from doomsday. The, uh, you know, the, what would have been the initial finale where Rita just says, I'm moving the castle to the city, which is funny. Cause the footage that they use is actually from episode one of shoe ranger, but okay. <laughs> where she just moves the palace into angel grove. And we discover Goldar has his own sword. <laughs> Cyclopsis. What? So, Oh yes. So my award goes to the first Zord battle with Cyclopsis where the Rangers are th- basically throwing everything they have at Cyclopsis and everything gets up, tries to get a piece of Cyclopsis, the T-Rex Zord, the Megazord, everything tries to get a piece of him and Cyclopsis just shuts them all down. There's a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of tension. It's one of the, one of those episodes that actually has a pretty good amount of gravity to it. And you do kind of worry about your heroes. <laughs> If they're going to pull through or not. And it really, it's very successful at establishing Cyclopsis as a very, very potent threat. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Yeah. Then they figure out how to defeat Cyclopsis. And I have to admit my reaction was, weren't you already doing that? Because they figure it's like Mm -hmm. Cyclopsis's weakness is that it, you know, it has, it, it can, if it fights something long enough, it just automatically understands how each of uh, each of the things fights. It can just counter it. So they said, just keep changing all the time, and then it can't keep up, and then it'll just overload because it can't keep up. I'm like, but you were already doing that. But, but yeah. But, well, maybe. May, well, they okay. So to be fair, they did speed up the footage, so it was a little oh. bit faster. Maybe. Uh, sure, but anyway, like I said, it's just like everything was just getting tossed at it, and it was it was pretty epic. I have to say. All right, and then our next award is the Ultra SFX Sword Award, which actually almost sounds real. Given the naming conventions for swords, it almost sounds real. Uh, I mean, it's better than the Omega Mega Zord. Opinions. Anyway, so this is for the best special effect. So, Michael, what do you have? My best, the best special effect for me 
is it was this one was tough. Like th- this one was tough. I I wanted to pick. I want what I wanted to pick was uh, when Rita band when Rita's castle descends on Angel Grove because I do think that that effect is done well. But what I ended up picking was actually another which, which was a Zord. I picked the Titanus specifically the Ultra Zord combination because I feel like that the the sequences of effects that have to take place to form the ultra zord is just it just looks impressive to me like the, the yeah. titanus ultra zord just looks impressive specifically yeah. um i'm specifically thinking about the uh the mutitis episode where they have to form the ultra zord to defeat mutitis and lokar and that is and talk about like yeah you know, Lokar, by the way, heroes. is like uh, was in the Sentai was called what the Great Satan or something like that. The and Great Satan, actually, yeah. this ridiculous being, wizard, wizard, mm-hmm. whatever in the Sentai who was Pandora's boss, and in this one, it's implied Lokar is basically the same thing, although Lokar disappears after the season. So right. <laughs> Right. So, so my, so I'm, I'm specifically referencing that episode with Lokar and Mutitis, uh, when they have to form the ultra Zord to defeat them. So yeah, that, that is my ultra SFX Zord award. Yeah. Mine is actually similar. Mine is the Megazord transformation sequence specifically, as I put it, the full version, which we see a bit more Uh, later in the season where it, you see more of the intricacy of the, the miniatures from the Sentai doing their thing. Yeah, usually we see the shorter version where they kind of skip a step in the middle. Mm-hmm. Right. But if you see the full version, which we get sometimes, like I said, more so later in the season, I'm like, Oh, that actually looks kind of cool. So it's, you see these, you actually see the, the legs form. Whereas usually we just see the Zord standing up mm-hmm. and, you know, and this one, you actually see it, you know, like they kind of come together a little bit and then you actually see it, standing up and then it cuts to when we you know the part that we're that we're used to where it's just kind of standing up a little bit and then the pterodactyl comes down and makes the breastplate so i i like the full version because again it's an icon exactly yeah <laughs> an icon so for so our next award nathan is our more phenomenal mad libs and we're going to be giving we give this award out to the best line uh, that we heard from our watch of the, ser- yeah. of the series. Now, so, it, which is going to be interesting because there are so it, Mighty Morphin in particular is full of catchphrases. <laughs> so many catchphrases we could pick for you. Make my monster grow <laughs> more phenomenal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. So much stuff. So and I actually have a runner up for this one. That's one of those catchphrases. But I, my selection is actually uh, a more specific line. But what did you have? I had, well, you know what? I went first the last two times, so I'm going to let you go first. Okay, time. well, what this one your, I, I had, it's from, uh, my more phenomenal Mad Lib is from Goldar, and it's from uh, Green with Evil Part 2, where, because one of the things that they, I thought this was actually, this whole sequence was actually really cool, I thought, because we're, we're introduced to the many, many pocket dimensions that are in, this, are in Mighty Morphin. I'm just like, what the heck? How many of these do you have? And... Uh, but it's all Saban footage. They had the Goldar suit and they filmed this brand new. So it's yep. unmorphed Jason being toyed with by Goldar. Mm-hmm. And because uh, they've captured him. And uh, it's this basically, it looks like a little bit of an arena and it's full of fog. 
It's just full of fog, of which Jason uses. It's not just window dressing. Jason uses it to his advantage because he hides in the fog. And then Goldar, in this really suspenseful sequence, is going around just randomly stabbing his sword on the ground, trying to get Jason. It's just I, ignore I, I the thought, fact that just just ignore the fact that if Jason breathed, all the fog around him would disperse, would disperse, and Goldar would be able to see him. But anyway, I digress. Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> anyway, so it's, it's so it's a wonderful sequence, and there's a point where he's because, like I say, he's toying with it. It's like this is my reward for my service. I am going to torture you, and so he's messing with him. And there's a point where because he has his morpher, and he tell and Jason says, "Give me back my morpher," basically, and. And Goldar replies, now you're demanding. Soon you will be begging. <laughs> I was just like, that's a great villain one-liner right there. <laughs> oh, it is. It's a, it's a fantastic one-liner. Yeah. So and then for me. No, I was just saying, and then my runner up is oh, one man. of the catchphrases and it's the catchphrase. <laughs> it's morphin time. I mean, what else? Can there be? I mean, that is the I mean, catchphrase. I, There's a lot I of didn't catchphrases want, on Mighty Morphin like that, but that is the catchphrase. I didn't want to pick that one because it was too obvious, but well, that's, why, that's of, why I made it the runner up. Matter, yeah. Right. Yeah. So my so for my more phenomenal mad lib, I mine was actually a conversation between Tommy and Kim, specifically during the Green with Evil saga, because why why not uh mm -hmm. so my my conversation between the two came in episode five when kim confronts tommy about being the green ranger because they do find out he's the green ranger at the end of episode four so kim goes to tommy while tommy's working out in the juice bar uh and very quietly just kind of very shyly just tries to you know keep the conversation private says I know, I know you're the Green Ranger. And without missing a beat, Tommy drops kayfabe and turns to Kim with this very stern look on his face saying, well, Pink Ranger, you should know that soon you and the other Rangers will be destroyed. And, you know, Tommy does not try to hide. It's what's interesting is he doesn't try to hide it. He doesn't try to say, no, that's impossible. How would I be the Green Ranger? He immediately just goes yeah. into evil Tommy mode and, and confronts Kim about being the Green Ranger and, and knowing their identities. Because at this point, Tommy knows who they are, but they don't know who he is. Yeah. As much as I like Green with Evil, there were points where I kind of thought, you know, I wonder if they, if they could have played around with not letting the audience know that Tommy's the Green Ranger either. So the revelation at the end of part four might have had a little bit more impact. Or yeah. if there was less of a marked change between Tom between Tommy before and after the spe the spell was cast. Eh, I played it, but they do that later. I think they figured that out late in later seasons. They you know they caught on to that, which we'll talk about later. Uh, well, in later episodes, I should say. All right. Time for that last award. <laughs> yeah. So our last award for uh, for this episode is our I, I, I can't believe that happened award, which we're going to give to what we conceive as the craziest moment in that we've saw while watching through this yeah. uh, season of because, Power Rangers. Because Toke, Japanese Toku hero shows and Power Rangers are nuts. <laughs> exactly and exactly. i had several so, contenders Nathan, i had several interesting contenders and i'm really interested to see what yours is 
Well, okay, so uh, I'm actually going to go first because I think maybe you and I will have similar ones. I don't know. Um, But I actually had one, and then I have a runner-up. So, again, going back to the well with Green with Evil um, is when the Green Ranger breaks into the Megazord and defeats the Power Rangers in part one. That was that was pretty crazy because that is the first time this is the first time this has ever that ever happened. It's happened before when villains break into like say command centers and zords before. But that that the, becomes a little bit of a trope if you really want to establish how dire the threat is. Have them invade the command center. Exactly. <laughs> or invade exactly. the Zord. <laughs> invade the Megazord. Exactly. <laughs> or just uh, a so- Zord. <laughs> yeah so that was that was my i can't believe that happened moment because it's like okay so you know crap's gonna get real with these guys it's not necessarily a crazy moment but it's just a really intense moment i thought yeah. uh for the for this season my runner-up yeah. being uh sort of adjacent to that where in part four uh the team of goldar scorpina and uh and a giant sized evil green ranger defeats the megazord uh you uh you stole it mine was yeah mine was giant tommy because i'm like what the frick when i was a kid i'm just like that happened they did that you could do that (laughs) and they never talk about that i was like tommy you were literally a giant dude for a hot minute are we gonna talk about this (laughs) this and this and one other time that we'll see later in a later season (laughs) Is the only time this has happened. So, you know, there, and we'll talk about this later when we get there. It is just surreal. Like seeing the Green Ranger fight the Megazord uh, with the stature of the Megazord. I'm just like, what is going on? This is so weird. Obviously, but because then it just kind of begs the question like, then why does he need the Dragon Zord? He could just, you know. Magic wand make my Green Ranger grow. I mean, right, and it's 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 uh <laughs> it, it, it it's it's such a good establishing shot too when when Rita makes the Green Ranger grow, and out of the fog and out of the darkness, here comes Tommy to essentially just finish off the Megazord because at this point the Megazord is kind of holding its own against Goldar and Sor- Scorpina, but obviously when the when when the, with the introduction of Giant Tommy that tips the scales yeah, massively. Yeah, but the, it's like I said, it's just so weird to see that. Also, we had that uh, <laughs> spur of the moment revelation that apparently the Megazord's solar powered. Never came up before. didn't come up again later, but okay. <laughs> I mean, another case of the writers just making crap up as they go. Yeah, which is how old, how co- old comic book writers used to work, basically. But uh, yeah, but it was just, it was nuts. It was nuts when I was a kid and I saw it and it's nuts even now because you don't see that very often. (laughs) All right. So we have one more section. We have one more section to go until we can call until we can put this episode in the books. Nathan, do you want to tell the uh, listeners with attitude what that set, what that uh, segment is? It's muffin time. This is the segment where Michael and I share our final thoughts on the particular season of Power Rangers we are discussing in one minute to our less. Are you ready, Michael? You ready for this? I'm ready. Are you going to go All first right. or am I going to go first? No, we're doing this together. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Good This, this is right. a one-minute conver- final conversation. Are you ready for this? We'll see how it goes. I- I'm All ready. Right. I'm on ready. our marks, get set, go. 
So, you know, honestly, season one. <laughs> I was going to say season one is iconic for a reason. Uh, this establishes so much about the franchise that uh, it's impossible. It, it becomes very impossible to top for several seasons. Like this season is, it lays the groundwork for so much. We would see later on in power Rangers between the Zord battles, the Rangers, mm-hmm. the six Ranger trope, everything. Uh, if you're, if you're a, if you're a fan of anything, nineties, nostalgia or superheroes, I recommend you highly yeah. watch power Rangers yeah, season yeah. one. There's so much that, like I said, it's the well that everyone goes back to when they try to reboot it. There's reasons for that. And honestly, like I said, Zhu Ranger, I'm getting into Zhu Ranger. Zhu Ranger Ranger is a great Sentai, and it's great source material for this. And it was the right show at the right time. And I am very happy to see what it was able to create right on time i could have gone on longer but i'm like i'm looking at the timer and i'm done (laughs) i am done all right michael we got the first real episode in the can what are we doing next we are going to be talking about mighty Morphin power rangers season two and spoiler this is actually my favorite season of the original run of the show so i'm really looking has your uh favorite villain because you like low hanging fruit. <laughs> because I am because I am so basic. Yes, this this season does feature my favorite villain of all time, uh, as far as Power Rangers are concerned. So I'm looking forward to that discussion. It's going to be a lot of fun. But thank you, yeah. Nate. For, but thank you, audio listener. Thank you, uh, listeners with attitude, uh, for tuning in for this first episode of the Power Trip: A Journey Through the Power Rangers franchise. And as always, may your power bow arrows fly true. May your dragon daggers always be tuned. And may the power protect you. Thank you for listening to The Power Trip, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton and Nathan Marching. If you'd like to send us feedback, email us at powertrippod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at thepowertrippod, and join our official Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other great podcasters. The podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Instagram at super underscore r underscore illustrations. Our theme songs are from the album Power of the Grid by Neil Stenson. We also use Galaxy Quest Instrumental by Heaven Wraith from the OC Remix album Jet Force Gemini Mizar Attacks. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The Power Trip has no association with Saban Entertainment or Hasbro. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. And until next time, see ya!